And as you're turning to Psalm 40, let me once again emphasize the fact that the principal topic that is continually mentioned and illustrated through the whole of Scripture is the message of salvation. Interwoven within every book of the Bible, truths regarding what the gospel is and what God does in the soul and life of a person who believes the gospel are not only communicated in great harmony one with another, but are expounded upon with descriptive details. And this truth to me is one of the most reassuring truths that the 66 books of the Bible has been given to us by inspiration of God and is thus supernatural and divine in nature. The fact that the Pentateuch, along with the historical books, the prophetical books, the poetic books, the Gospels, and the Epistles are in perfect harmony in their descriptions and depictions of the Gospel encourages me to believe that what has been preserved in the Bible has come from someone who is infinitely wise. The fact that the Bible is made up of 66 books written on three continents in three languages by more than 40 authors, most whom never met one another because they wrote over a period of 1,500 years, yet harmonizes perfectly, only encourages me to believe that this book truly has been given to us by God Himself. The fact that truths about salvation spoken in the law, parallel with proclamations of the prophets, which parallel with the experiences and testimonies of others, which parallels with the teachings of Jesus, which parallels with the doctrinal teachings of what the gospel is and what the gospel does in the epistles, only solidifies that this book that we hold in our hands does not contain the changing opinions of men, but rather the eternal truths of God. And it is my hope in our examination of David's words in Psalm 40 that you will see tonight with your own eyes the many ways in which God teaches us what it means to know Him personally. In Psalm 40, through David's experiences with God, we are given three vivid portraits of what takes place during the process of conversion. Detailing the marvelous works of salvation, God through David teaches us what being born again the Bible way looks like for every genuine believer. And looking to verses 1 through 5, I want you to notice first that in salvation, God rescues sinners from a life of hopelessness and misery. In salvation, God rescues sinners from a life of hopelessness and misery. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, 
nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. In salvation, God rescues sinners from a life of hopelessness and misery. Now, in these five opening verses of the psalm, I want you to notice two things. Notice with me first the miserable condition that is mentioned. And second, the gracious deliverance that occurs from such a condition. David says, he, speaking of God, brought me up also out of an horrible pit. There's the miserable condition. And describing this condition in further detail, we know that a pit is a large, deep hole in the ground that oftentimes is very dark the deeper it gets. And this word for horrible speaks of a pit of noise. David goes on and says that this pit that he was in not only was deep and dark, but it contained miry clay, that is mud. Mud that is unstable and weighs him down within the pit. Are you beginning to see the gospel parallels being described? In our sin, in our lost condition, as children of the devil, enslaved as his prisoners, we are in a place of darkness and danger. In our sin, apart from Christ, all we know is a life void of true light and true satisfaction. Living in this world without God, we are in a place of noise. From every direction, we hear voices that claim to speak for God. Voices that claim to be of truth. But such voices give us no lasting peace and hope. Like standing in the mud. In our sin, in this world, nothing is stable and nothing is secure. And furthermore... There is nothing we can do in and of our strength and of our own power to get ourselves out of such condition. This pit of sin is so deep and so dark that no amount of human effort can save us out of it. And this is what the Bible says about all men. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a great gulf between us and God. In our sin, we are cut off from the Creator. In our sin, we are spiritually blind. We are spiritually deaf. We are spiritually lifeless. Apart from Christ, we lack purpose for living. Trying to find satisfaction in the things of this life, we become more and more miserable. Until when? Until God in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, brings us out of such darkness and sets our feet upon a place of stability and safety and puts a song within our mouth, even praise towards God. And this is the gracious deliverance that occurs through the saving power of the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does God do through the process of the new birth? 
Well, in the new birth, God causes us to stand upon a rock. In the process of conversion, God rescues our soul from death. God saves us from darkness. In the process of salvation, Jesus, in His death, burial, and resurrection, goes down into the dark pit to seek and to save His sheep. And I would have you notice in these verses the repeated emphasis of God rescuing David, not David rescuing himself. Notice it again. David says, He, speaking of God, brought me up out of an horrible pit. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth. Verse 6, Mine ears hath God opened. Verse 8, God hath put His law within my heart. This is the message of God's sovereign, unmerited grace. Salvation, the Bible says, is a message of grace from beginning to end. Not by works of righteousness, which we do, but according to His mercy, He saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, salvation is about God doing for us and not us doing for God. It's not about our sincerity. It's not even about our choosing or our believing. It's not about our praying and seeking. It's all of God's grace. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he's talking about the whole realm of the Christian life. He is what he is in sanctification and he is what he is in salvation because of God's grace. Someone can be sincere in wanting to escape the pit of sin. Yet in his own power, he cannot escape it. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the Bible says in our sin we are dead, we're blind, we're sheep going astray. In our unbelief, we thought we knew the answers. Apart from God in our sin, we thought we knew what was right and wrong. We thought we were good enough to go to heaven. Until God awakened us, until God drew us to himself Until God placed us in the beloved. Until God allowed us to see the light. And when this happened, not only did we praise God for giving us such grace, but others could tell that we have a new life. Others could tell that we escaped the pit of sin. Notice verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth after the deliverance from this pit. God places a new song in our mouth, even praise to God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. The New Testament illustration of this is the lame man healed in Acts chapter 3. What could the lame man do to heal himself? Nothing. He was stuck in a horrible pit. 
He was hearing noise around him, other people even walking. He wished he had the power to walk, but he could not. And then God in his grace, God in his power, gave this lame man the strength to walk and leap and praise God. And many saw it and could tell that he who was lame now walks. This is what it means to be saved. To be saved means that once you were lost. To be saved means that God in Christ has changed your entire life. Old things are passed away. Behold, old things are become new. You once were blind, now you see. You've been translated from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. So now you say with David, many, O Lord, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. If I have the ability to praise God accordingly with his grace that he has shown towards me, I would do it. But there are too many to be told. This is the process of conversion. There's truth number one. In salvation, God rescues sinners from a life of hopelessness and misery. Truth number two. In salvation, God gives the believer a heart that loves God and desires to obey God. In salvation, God gives the believer a heart that loves God and desires to obey God's word. Verse six. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. And within these five verses, I want you to notice carefully the repeated mentioning of the heart and the lips. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. In other words, David is saying what God desires is not outward rituals or external conformity to God's commands. No, what God desires of us is humble obedience that flows from our hearts. And this truth parallels with what David says in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifices, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Notice the heart. And then verse 7 and 8. Then said I, come In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. 
I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. There's his mouth. Do you see the parallel gospel truths that are spoken of here by David that are articulated by Paul, Romans 10? Remember, Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what's being portrayed here in Psalm 40. When someone is rescued from sin, when someone becomes a child of God, God in His grace gives a new heart. A new heart with new affections and new desires. When God converts the soul, the believer will not be satisfied with heartless rituals. No, they will desire to do God's will from the heart. The true believer will want to know God's word and do God's word. When one is truly saved, you don't have to force praise or obedience. When one is truly saved, keeping God's commands will not be a burden. John says, God's commandments will not be grievous, burdensome. When someone truly belongs to Christ, they will say, Thy law, O God, is within my heart. And now I want to do God's will over and above my will. Why? Because it's the natural outflow of a changed heart. It's the natural response of gratitude for all that God has done. God has changed our heart. He has saved us from our sin. Saved us out of the world. And now in this process of salvation, we're walking a new path. We have a new master. We delight to do his will. In salvation, God gives the believer a new heart that loves God and desires to obey God's word. And then truth number three. In salvation, God's people will personally, prayerfully, passionately, pleasantly, and persistently desire and depend upon God. In salvation, God's people will personally, prayerfully, passionately, pleasantly, and persistently desire and depend upon God. Verse 11. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart filleth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for reward or of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying. Oh, my God. Now, let's break these points down. Notice the personal part in verse 17. And what we find in verse 17 
has only been repeated throughout the psalm. In salvation, God's people will personally desire and depend upon God. David says that the Lord is my Lord. He's my God. He's not the God of his parents. He's not the God of his grandparents. He's not the God of his nation. God is his God. David knows his God. And God knows him. There's a personal relationship here. So I'm saying in salvation, God's people will personally desire and depend upon God. And then notice also that God's people will prayerfully desire and depend upon God. Throughout these seven verses, David in prayer is turning to the Lord for help. In so many words, David is asking God to be his help in his time of need. David is asking God to fight his battle for him. He realizes that no one can help him except the Lord. There are too many enemies. There are too many foes. There are too many opportunities to stumble and fall. David is prayerfully desiring and depending upon God. And then notice the passionate part in verses 11 through 17. We do not find David being cold toward God, but passionate toward God. David's heart is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He's desiring that God's mercies would be upon him. He's desiring, as Paul, to know God and the power of his resurrection. He wants God to be pleased. There's nothing common. There's nothing careless. There's nothing calloused or cold about David's relationship with God. David's a man after God's own heart. As the heart, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so longs David's soul after God. It's passionate. And I'm asserting the fact that when God truly saves, those whom he saves will personally, prayerfully, and passionately desire God. And then notice the pleasant part. David says in verse 16, Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Christianity to David is not a dreary faith, but a delightful faith. It's the difference between the Pharisees and the true disciples of Christ. To the Pharisees, the quote, Christian faith, It was all about routine and rituals and obeying the law. Dead. External. Playing a part. Oh, they would pray, but no life. No passion. Oh, they would go to synagogue, but no hungering for the things of God. To David, the Christian life is about joy. Rejoicing. And be glad. in who? In God, the one who has saved him. The joy of the Lord is his strength. And then finally, notice the persistence of his faith. This faith of David is not something that lasted a week. It's not something that lasted a summer. It's not something that lasted a couple of years and then faded away. It's something that lasted, as we sing, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. In salvation, God's people will personally, prayerfully, 
passionately, pleasantly, and persistently desire and depend upon God. So now let's take this and let's see if it's true with what we read in the New Testament. Is what David saying here about salvation in unison with the teachings of the New Testament? Well, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they, speaking of his sheep, his believers, might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Personal. Persistent. Pleasant. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then Luke tells us of those who were saved in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, then those that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And what did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. Prayerfully. We're not done. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is true Christianity. These people were actually truly changed. And others could see it. They had new life. Life from above. And they were joyful. And they wanted to embrace it with all of their might. And then what about the greatest missionary who ever lived, Saul of Tarsus? God brought him out of a horrible pit. God brought him out of the miry clay. God set his feet upon the rock, the one that he was kicking against with all of his might. God put a new song in his mouth, even praise to God, and many saw it. Coming to Christ, Paul delighted to do God's will. Not as a lost Pharisee, but as a true Christian convert. So it's true then that when God saves someone, that same someone will personally, prayerfully, passionately, pleasantly, and persistently desire and depend upon God. When God saves, He rescues from sin. Jesus is a Savior. When God saves, He regenerates the heart. When God saves, the believer will want to run the way of God's commands and that person will be a person who relies upon God through the power of prayer. So in closing, let me ask of you tonight, can these characteristics of salvation be found in your life? Has there been a time and a place marked by a change that God in Christ, through the power of His Spirit, brought you out of sin, out from the world, out of your misery, and given you spiritual life. And then let me ask, when, if ever, did God do this for you? You should know. You should be able to discern the season when God transformed your life. If you claim to be a Christian and you can't pinpoint a moment, then there's a problem. 
And many of my Reformed friends want to act as if you can be a Christian and not remember the time and moment that you came to Christ. But this is a birth. Look at David. There's a moment where he was saved out of the pit. There was a moment he had hope. There was a transformation of life. Acts chapter 2, Saul of Tarsus. We're not just born in the Christian family and just automatically, miraculously become a Christian. No, we have to personally repent and believe to be saved. And we have fruit that follows. Evidence of a changed life. You see, salvation is more than believing that God exists. Salvation is not about trying to be a better person. Salvation is not going to church or saying prayers. Salvation is about God rescuing us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. Jesus has come to seek and to save His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. If you're here this evening and you cannot discern a time in which God has brought about such a change, if you're still in the pit of unbelief and rebellion, cry out to Him now. And verse 1 gives you the assurance that He will hear your cry of desperation. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. The Bible says, whosoever shall call, cry out in desperation, knowing your sinful condition, knowing where you will be if you die in your sin. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear deaf, that it cannot hear. If you are in Christ tonight, rejoice that God, in his mercy and grace, would do this great work of salvation for you. Rejoice that out of the billions of people living today, God sought you in a personal way. Remember that time. Remember who you were in your sin, who you were in your rebellion. Remember how you resisted the gospel. You resisted people who wanted to talk to you about Christ. And then over time, God melted your heart. God made you tender towards the things of God and then opened your eyes to the wonderful gospel. These things ought to bring fresh gratitude to our hearts. The marvelous work of salvation. God doing all this for us.